Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, It's good to have you with us as we come to the end of another week on our show. As I said in the headlines uh, today, uh, Election Day is closer than I think many people actually realize. Um, Early voting, in-person voting, uh, begins in about a little more than five weeks on October 17th. And the election, of course, uh, eight plus weeks away on November 17th. Eighth, uh, just so you've got it in your heads, um, the registration deadline for the November election date is October 11th, so you've still got a few weeks uh, to do that. And if you want to apply for an absentee ballot, you may recall that SB 202, the controversial election bill that passed the legislature a couple years ago, shortened the deadline uh, the time by which you could request an absentee ballot, you've got to request it now by October 28th. I, I realize that giving dates out on the radio are a little tricky. So why don't we do this? Um, uh, Natalie and Chase, why don't we post the basic uh, deadlines and election dates for uh, for voting uh, on our social media platform? We, I think everybody would uh, be able to find it there. It's, it's available all over the place as well. Let's get right to uh, the panel, <clears throat> excuse me, because we have a lot to talk about. Jim Galloway, former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, joins us as he does on Fridays. How are you, Jim? I'm doing great. Looking forward to getting uh, getting on with this. This is We've got much to talk about. A lot to talk about. Um, you're a former colleague, uh, Leroy Chapman. Managing editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is back with us. It's, it's good to have you back, Leroy. It's been a while since we've had you on the show. I know you've had a lot on your plate down at the AJAC, but we're glad you could be with us today. Uh, hello, and thank you for having me. And uh, it is the season, so yes, we are extraordinarily busy, but uh, always have time for you. Thank you for that. Emma Hurt, uh, Axios Atlanta reporter, uh, joins us. Um Thank you very much for being here, Emma. Always happy to be here, Bill. Thanks for having us. Uh, And as always, I want to let people know how they can find you. How can they subscribe to Axios Atlanta? (laughs) Axios.com slash Atlanta. You'll find us. (laughs) Now part of the Cox Enterprise uh, Communications Empire. Uh, Axios now owned by uh, Cox. Um, I bet that makes you feel even more powerful, Emma. You know, it's, it's interesting to be at the, the Red Hot Center of that story here in Atlanta. So it's fun. It's all in the family, right? <laughs> Raul Bali is back with us well, uh, as well. He's the politics reporter at WABE, and he's the co-host of a podcast, Georgia Votes 2022. Raul, um, when is your podcast, how often do you post your podcast and when do they come out? Uh, It is a once a week and it actually drops uh, this morning. It's a Friday morning podcast. And one of our other co-hosts is Emma Hurt. Oh, really? Oh, I I didn't know that. All right. Well, (laughs) we're glad to have you both on the show. Um, All right. Let's, I'd like to start. We have a lot to talk about in terms of the governor's race and the Senate race. Um, Let's start with um, what's happening today, Jim Galloway. Uh, Nikki Haley, former uh, governor of South Carolina, former ambassador to the United Nations, um, someone who uh, did pretty well, got along pretty well with Trump when he was president and she was serving in his administration as UN ambassador, and a popular figure in the uh, Republican Party, comes in to campaign today, I think, in Gwinnett County for both Herschel Walker and um, Governor uh, Kemp. What's the significance of somebody like Nikki Haley coming in, Jim? Uh, well, first of all, there's 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 the just the uh, the unstated fact that uh, we are now in the prelude to a 2024 presidential election, and and she, and she's she is uh, in in everybody's 
uh, Republican top five list, I think. Uh, I think more importantly and more immediately, what you've got is uh, you've, you, you've, this is evidence of the, of, of the emphasis that Republicans are having to put on, on, on the women's vote uh, in the aftermath of the, of the uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade. I think that's, I think that's, 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 that is probably topmost. Raul? I want to mention one other important thing about this event. Um, this event is being held, the, the event that Herschel Walker is having today with Nikki Haley is at Global Mall. And Global Mall is on Jimmy Carter Boulevard, right there by 85. And it is a mall for Indian Americans and Asian Americans. And Nikki Haley is, is also Indian American. So, and mm-hmm. as, as an Indian American, I'm seeing all sorts of flyers and stuff for this event. So, not only the women's event, it's also important to note that this is also aimed at the Asian American community and specifically the large Indian American community in Gwinnett and DeKalb County. Yeah, this is this has um, been Bill. This is a, this is a target. This is uh, over the last say maybe I'd say three cycles. You have seen Republicans very specific, specifically target Indian Americans in Georgia. Um. So uh, Nikki Haley's here. Uh, uh, Emma, as Galloway points out, um, this we are beginning to see Georgia as a proving ground for 2024 on people who may be uh, looking at running for president. Uh, uh, Ted Cruz was uh, here a few weeks ago promoting the Republican uh, ticket here. Um, we know that Mike Pence came in to campaign for Brian Kemp before uh, the primary uh, at a time when, of course, he was uh, uh, opposing Donald Trump, uh, who had uh, was supporting um, David Perdue at the time. And so we're likely to see more happen like this in the uh, weeks leading up to the election, I would think. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, covering Georgia politics in the past few years, to me, this is sort of obvious. Of course, the top national politicians want to come through Georgia. I know that certainly has not been the case uh, always. And so seeing Nikki Haley, I mean, she's been on the trail all over Georgia. She campaigned for Jeremy Hunt, who who lost the Republican nomination in the second uh, district um, for Kelly Loeffler. And and she's also going to be with Governor Kemp. But, you know, we know that Glenn Youngkin will be coming to campaign for Kemp later next uh, later this month, we expect. And I, you know, the sky's the limit. We've had Nancy Pelosi during the um, during the recess, not a 2024 contender, but a national politician. And so just underlines what we all what we all know and and, um, what the rest of the country seems to agree about, that that Georgia is an important stop if you're campaigning across the country um, as a surrogate. So, Leroy, it is I really don't want to start talking about the 2024 presidential race quite yet. Nevertheless, as we say, uh, we, we do think that there are people like a Nikki Haley, a Ted Cruz and uh, a, a Mike Pence who are coming here thinking ahead to 2024. And I think Leroy Emma makes a good point. There were years in which Georgia was completely ignored when it came to presidential uh, uh, candidates. Uh, they just didn't come to this state. They didn't spend much money advertising uh, here. And so the fact that we already have some early potential contenders showing up uh, does say a lot about what's happened to the uh, purpling of Georgia. Absolutely. So I came here from South Carolina. I'm a South Carolina native. So uh, anyone who was running for president, uh, I got to know because they were always in South Carolina because South Carolina was critical to winning a nomination. So you could not be nominated for president in either party unless you went to South Carolina. So what we're seeing now in Georgia is the other part of that. So while this Georgia is not in the early part of the nomination process, what uh, needs to happen for anyone who wants to win, though, is that they've got to get a foothold here. They've got to get alliances. They've got to understand uh, who is connecting with voters, and they've got to make those alliances. And so on the Republican side, we are seeing a realigning of the Republican Party, too. So Nikki Haley, for example, uh, could very well be uh, in a nomination process, and Donald Trump could be her opponent. So it is smart for her or anyone else who wants to run for, uh, for president uh, to get an early alliance with 
uh, a, a camp who uh, could be reelected and who has his own election machine or, or Walker or whomever. So, so that's what we're saying. And yes, Georgia is suddenly important and we will see more of those guys. That's a good thing for, for voters to be able to see those folks up close because um, I understand what that means. Because in South Carolina, again, our voters were overexposed almost to the, <laughs> to the candidates for president. And uh, it, was, um, it was a lesson in democracy to see that. Um, Leroy, while the ball's in your court, um, let's get a, a, a conversation going around the uh, TV ad that the Walker campaign uh, just put up. Um, I want to play the audio from that ad and get everybody's reactions to it. Uh, but essentially, if you have not seen it yet, this is an ad in which Walker talks directly into camera about his sense that Raphael Warnock is trying to divide us as people. And there's an essential uh, uh, accusation that uh, that Warnock and a couple of other Democrats are racist in the way they think about America. So what you're going to hear is you'll hear first Stacey Abrams make a, a, a statement in the ad, then Vice President Kamala Harris, then a very quick soundbite from Joe Biden, Raphael Warnock, and then Herschel Walker. So kind of keep that in your heads as you listen to this spot, and then let's talk about it. I do absolutely agree that it's racist. It is a redux of Jim Crow in a suit and tie. America has a long history of systemic racism. You ain't black. America has a pre-existing condition. It's called racism. Senator Warnock believes America is a bad country full of racist people. I believe we're a great country full of generous people. One eye wants to divide us. I want to bring us together. I'm Herschel Walker. I approve this message. Um, Leroy, we should point out that in that first sound, uh, Stacey Abrams uh, talking about Jim Crow in a suit and tie is referring to the passage of SB 202, which uh, many uh, uh, progressives believe was a, 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 is a law that suppresses African-American and other minority votes. But just in a more general way, I have a very hard time figuring out what to make of that spot, and I'm looking to you and the other panelists to help me understand it. Sure. Oh, so, so there are a couple of things going on here, right? Uh, one is that this is the Walker campaign wanting to tie Warnock to uh, to Abrams and to uh, Vice President Harris, who uh, are certainly known, and, and, and they're more polarizing. So if you think about the short time that uh, Warnock has been uh, in um, elected office, uh, these uh, the other two uh, folks have, uh, have a, a longer track record and have proven to be a lot more polarizing. So if you think about that, that's what the Walker campaign is doing. And the second thing here is that you know, it's virtue signaling, right? It is looking at, it's aimed at white voters, uh, banking on the idea that there's some fatigue and talking about race. Uh, and it puts uh, Walker to, to, again, say, we shouldn't talk about race as much as we do. And he's not talking about any specific policy or anything like that. In fact, he's not shown himself to be very fluent to talk about policy at all to anything that I've seen. But, but this is, uh, I think, trying to position himself as being the reasonable candidate needing to have people in the middle break his way because right now there is a lot of question about his uh, readiness and fitness for office. And so this is uh, uh, looking to get uh, those white voters uh, who may be undecided and who might be otherwise uh, open to voting for a Republican. He desperately needs those folks in order to be able to win. Emma, you did a pretty deep dive into this spot in uh, on Axios Atlanta today. Talk to us about what you uh, reported. Yeah, I, I I dug into a bit of the context as well about you know where Walker's position on racism, where he says it comes from, dating back to you know his teenage years in Wrightsville and making a decision. He says to not engage with civil rights protests at that time to kind of stay out of the fray, and that that has been his. Um, approach until now as well. Um, but I did talk to Dr. Andre Gillespie, frequent panelist here, who, as we know, studies political mobilization and race. And she made the point that Leroy made that this is not an ad for black people. Uh, this, she says, is an ad for undecided white voters. Um, 
and you know we'll see if it's effective was her point but it um you know it it speaks to also i think this it's not a new approach as well it's just it's different if you think about how kelly leffler for example tried to hit warnock on um with with jeremiah wright some of jeremiah wright's words and his support for Wright. this um gillespie told me is sort of a softer touch to the same message in the hopes that this might resonate better because as we remember the attacks with jeremiah wright did fall flat and so not necessarily a new um general concept here but it's definitely new it's new first of all for us to see two black candidates at the top of the ticket talking about race like this in such um different ways can't miss that as well it's, i mean it's remarkable to have that um anywhere in the country but especially in the south and we'll see right i mean polling is pretty muddled about how Walker is is polling among black voters, um, whether he'll be able to outperform Donald Trump's 11 percent in 2020. Um, the AJC poll showed 9 percent for Walker and a recent Emerson poll showed him 25 percent. So, you know, the jury the jury is out on on the vote tallies at the end of this. But but that's what seems to be going on. Um. Raul and then Jim, I think I'm, I'm right, Emma, that one of the things that Andre Gillespie, it, I think it was Andre Gillespie, maybe, who, who said that uh, part of this ad may be an appeal to white people who are kind of, as in these words, kind of tired of hearing about race all the time. Was it Gillespie who told you that? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, Raul, what do you make of, of, of that? I agree with, with Andre Gillespie. If somebody who grew up in rural Georgia, I grew up out near Augusta, and I used to be a reporter in rural Georgia, they're absolutely, you will hear it um, from rural white voters. They won't say it on mic, but they'll say it to you when you're having a conversation where they feel like the race card is overplayed or that race is injected in places where race doesn't belong. I mean, they, they'll agree with you on what happened in, in the Ahmaud Arbery, Ahmaud Arbery case, but they feel like it's, it's injected into everything. So that is absolutely who this ad is, is aiming for. Jim? Uh, the other thing that I, I think we need to, to, to consider is that this is kind of a rehabilitation of, of Herschel Walker. Uh, as, as we said, he's, he's speaking direct to camera. Uh, he is speaking in complete sentences, subject and verb and predicate. And he's got this brilliant smile. It's a, it's a very, very, uh, a very, it's, it's a, uh, a very uh, intentionally presentential, uh, uh, a kind of a reintroduction of, of Herschel. Um, yeah, and, and go ahead. I was just going to jump on that and say, you know, it's September. What are we, 60 days out now or something crazy like that? Um, and Herschel Walker, after having so many um, negative news articles, you know, the ad campaigns are going to ramp up and he's trying to define himself and trying to speak for himself and not let these headlines define him. OK, but before we move on, Leroy, this notion that this campaign, this spot, to some extent, may be uh, pointing, pointed at white people who are, quote, tired of talking about race is really, uh, I, I think, a troubling uh, sort of approach. I mean, here are two black men uh, running for the U.S. Senate out of Georgia, which in itself is a remarkable thing. And you have one black man essentially accusing the other of using race as a dividing line and basically calling him a reverse racist. I don't like that expression, reverse racism, but that's kind of what it is here. Um and, and this notion that maybe white voters are tired of hearing about race um, does not ex- a, a deal with the fact that race is still a dominant and important issue, especially in a state like Georgia, where prejudice still exists. Well, you know, he, the, the truth of the matter with Walker and what you need to do in order to win, right? Because there's a difference between uh, recognizing uh, some of the issues, the very thorny issues that we as a society still need to talk about and resolve versus uh, what Walker needs to win. And there is that reframing and reintroducing himself. But, you know, if I can go ahead and, and look back at what happened with uh, uh, Senator Tim Scott, uh, who Walker is trying to join as being uh, you know, another black Republican uh, in the U.S. Senate, uh, he essentially did a little bit of the same thing. 
And, and what he did in South Carolina was, was this. I mean, he uh, leaned into uh, talking about America and South Carolina and its exceptionalism and its opportunity and its progress. And he held himself up to be an example of it. And what he did is he used uh, his own personal biography uh, to refute <laughs> those who still talked about uh, the impact of race in the daily lives of African-Americans especially and how limiting that can still be for many of them. And so Walker essentially is wanting to cast himself as being, you know, I am proof that race isn't a bigger issue in Georgia mm-hmm. and in America as some want it to be. And so if he can do that, then he thinks that he's going to put some of those folks in and affirm to them that maybe uh, our conversation about race uh, takes up way more time than it should. And they're, they're, and it's, the reality is that there are people who believe that, despite the disparities, despite the, the outcomes that, uh, that are, might argue counter to that. Emma, put a final uh, uh, point about this uh, out there so we can move on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot that just the bottom line point here that, that Dr. Gillespie made to me is people who already believe this, that what we've outlined are fatigued to talking about race. Um, they didn't need this ad, you know, so the question becomes, who does this ad convince? Um, and that is the outstanding one. And how many people are in that bucket that are that are persuadable on this issue? All right. Um, uh, I, we're going to watch this ad and see how it plays. How long will the Walker campaign keep it up? Uh, when will they move on to other subjects? That in itself will be fascinating. Uh, meanwhile, Raul, as long as we're talking about Senate ads, uh, we should point out that uh, the Warnock campaign has now put a spot up which essentially really pokes hard at Herschel Walker for his ongoing uh, kind of ducking and uh, double talk about whether he is, in fact, going to debate or not. There is one now debate that both Walker and Warnock say they'll do in Savannah, uh, but Walker's got some conditions that we're not sure uh, are going to be met, and the question is, is he really going to debate down there? So they're playing that up in their ad right now. So let me start off full disclosure. I am the co-chair of the Atlanta Press Club debates, which is, one of the debates that that is out there for invites uh, for the Senate candidates. Um, basically, what's going on is, for those in our audience who don't know, there were three original debates that were laid out. The Atlanta Press Club, uh, a Macon consortium, and then a Savannah TV station. And those were the first three d- d- debate invites that were sent out. Uh, Senator Warnock accepted all three of those. Um, and then from time to time, we'd ask Herschel Walker, hey, are you going to appear in this debate? Then a second Savannah TV station rolled out a, di- a different debate, um, which looked a little different. There were the two key things that I noticed uh, when I uh, saw the formatics is no questions between the candidates, and they get the topics ahead of time. Herschel Walker accepted that debate. So now you've seen this, this interplay between the two saying, well, you haven't accepted this debate. You haven't accepted this debate. And that's kind of where we're at. What, what The only thing has changed, and this was the reporting from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is that Senator Warnock, uh, Senator Warnock says, you know what, I'll accept the other Savannah debate as long as we don't have the topics ahead of time. That was one of the conditions that he put at. Where do we stand right now? The only thing I can really address is the Atlanta Press Club debate. And as of this moment, Senator, uh, Senator Warnock's accepted, Libertarian Chase Oliver's accepted, we have not heard a no, a no or a yes on the Atlanta Press Club debate. And so at this point, from where I sit, there's still a possibility that one of these four debates could happen, and you'll see all three or at least the top two candidates on stage. Jim, let me ask you a question to move the conversation forward, if I may. Um, how big a deal is this, do you think, to voters? How much do voters really care about this issue of whether Herschel Walker is willing to debate or not? He certainly didn't need a debate to uh, win in a landslide his primary race. No, no, but but I would if if uh, I would bet that I can find many many Republicans who say he say he would have been a better candidate had he debated. 
in 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 the primary races where any uh, any gaffes would have been uh, uh, would have been lesser. Uh, if I could go back to Raul's point, uh, uh, it, those those three debates that uh, that uh, uh, that Mr. Bali was talking about is uh, are, are are they were either in studio or very small audience uh, uh, formats, right? Okay, this WSAV one has has an, would have an audience of five hundred people. You cannot control five hundred people and their reaction. You know this bill. This this may predate uh, political rewind, but in twenty fourteen, uh, there was a series of WMAZ held a series of debates at the at the Georgia uh, Georgia Agricultural Fairgrounds mm. in the auditorium, and it, I mean there were. It, it became a it became a, a crowd generator. You had buses going in, and it was more like a, a Texas cage match than than a debate. Uh, both the Senate candidates and the gubernatorial candidates were there, and you could very very you could just barely hear the candidates themselves. And I think we may be headed toward that kind of a situation in Savannah. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I, I get that. And you're right. We do remember uh, the debates at the fairgrounds and they were mostly meaningless. But again, Leroy, um, the Walker campaign, uh, the Warnock campaign has put money behind this ad accusing Walker of ducking debates. And I just wonder to what extent voters care about that. Leroy and Emma, I'd love to get your take uh, on that. So it, it's, um, it, it's a little hard to determine, but I, but I will say this. Uh, of the two, Walker obviously has to has to state his case directly, and he has more to prove uh, in terms of uh, where, where he stands on issues, being able to articulate what he do in the in the U.S. Senate. Uh, there's a track record where he has the, his uh, fitness for office has been questioned because uh, he has uh, not withstood the scrutiny very well early on. And, and and Jim's right. I mean, he's not debated at all. So the question is, can he win? And, of course, this is really going to boil down to the folks who perhaps might consider this. And it's a pretty small sliver of people uh, that will decide this race anyway. And the question is, will it matter to them? Because there are lots, lots of folks that won't matter anyway. They're going to vote either for Warnock or Walker, and there are a lot of minds already made up. So of the persuadables, does this matter? And And it might, and it might just because uh, Walker has way more convincing to do than Warnock. Uh, Warnock does have at least some uh, the incumbency and some of the things he's done already uh, does help him. And Walker has more to prove. So a debate stage uh, would actually help him. But of course, it's a you know potential landmine for him just because of what we've seen so far. And you understand the reticence of the Walker campaign to actually go toe to toe with someone like Warnock because Warnock is pretty doggone skilled at this kind of thing. Uh, we saw what he did, and he got elected, and he's been in the U.S. Senate, and he's a faster, and he's very good on his feet, and very steeped in, 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 in policy. So we, we see this going in as probably a mismatch anyway, under any circumstance. Emma? I'm also on the debate committee with Raul, and will be a panelist, so no disclosure there, but I think broadly, you know, my thought process on debates has often been skeptical of whether how many voters pay attention to them and see them. I mean, we know they're important, but um, this, however, has, has become its own thing. There have been ad dollars spent on this issue as, as Walker and Warnock um, kind of fight it out over who's going to debate whom and who's actually the chicken here and this kind of <laughs> this, this dynamic we have now. It's kind of a standoff. And to me, the standoff appears to be continuing where you still have, like, you know, the two guys pointing at each other like, you're the chicken, you're the reason we're not debating. And I don't see how, how you know, this, this ends um, without either of them feeling like they're having to concede something to the other. And, and so the, the time is dwindling in which we will see them on a debate stage together. Bottom line. Leroy, I got to get to a break, but one quick comment to close this off. Yeah, the, the only thing, again, the reticence is this. The debate itself, a live debate, may not matter. But if there's a serious gap, uh, now it, it, it would be repeated uh, endlessly, right? So this it would be on an endless loop. And that's the thing that the Walker campaign is, is fearing. It's not necessarily whether or not he will win a debate or how many people tune in to, you know, 30 minutes or an hour. It is whether or not there's a gap there that becomes part of a commercial or takes or, takes or lights a, a fire into some social media campaign. 
Leroy Chapman, I think you absolutely nailed it. That is exactly the impact that a debate can have when someone says something that is stupid or misinformed, ill-informed, and it ends up being uh, the fodder for commercials, for social media, and uh, whatever. So we'll wait and see what happens to uh, Walker and Warnock in a debate uh, setting. Let's do this. Let's get to our first break of the show. When we come back, I want to ask the panel a little bit about the latest reporting on the governor's race. We'll do that in a moment. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Raul Bali, Emma Hurt, Leroy Chapman, Jim Galloway joined me for a Political Rewind today. Uh, just a quick comment. We're seeing some response here from Georgia leaders to the uh, death of uh, Queen Elizabeth, which, of course, is dominating uh, the cable airwaves. So you certainly have plenty of places you can watch it. But um, Governor Kemp uh, issued a statement in which he uh, said that uh, she demonstrated maturity and wit beyond her years, talking about when she first came to power to meet the challenges of her time and the decades that followed. She provided a steady hand to her nation and its people through both times of crisis and prosperity. Andre Dickens uh, said the city of Atlanta joins the world in mourning the loss of the queen. He also uh, said he was sending his condolences to the British Consulate General here in Atlanta and the UK residents who are uh, uh, who live in the sister city of Atlanta, Newcastle, upon uh, Tyne, and the and the Carters also sent their condolences. Jim, just a quick thought. You know, I mean, Queen Elizabeth certainly had her ups and downs in terms of popularity. She was at a low point after the death of Princess Diana, when at first people felt she showed no compassionate all around that. Um, and there are there are people in uh, African nations that were once part of the empire who were not enamored of of her as the as the as the monarch, the ruling monarch of the British Empire. But I can't think of a leader in this country today, contemporaneously, contemporarily, who would receive as universal uh, 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 the acclaim and the love that uh, we're seeing uh um, uh, for her right now, right, right. I, I mean, and, and and Jimmy Carter, who is two years older uh, than 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 Queen Elizabeth, uh, uh, might qualify for that, uh, just given his ex presidency. But the closest I can come is 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 uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Four terms. He was elected four times uh, during the Depression and World War II, and for a whole generation of Americans, he was the, he was the only president they knew. That's probably the closest that I, that I can come to, 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 to Queen Elizabeth's influence. Yeah, I, I just think of it, um, Emma, in terms of how divided we are as a people, that we simply could not find a, a leader in common or uh, who we would all, uh, agree deserved our, uh, respect and admiration in death. Well, there's not someone we don't have a choice about being in charge for so long, Um, uh, which, you know, longevity, I think, has a big role in this as well. But I will say seeing the reaction from so many Americans, as as it often does with the British royal family, kind of feels like our queen, too, in a way. So maybe maybe we do share some part of that feeling as well. All right. Um, let's move on. Raul, I want to talk to you a little bit about the governor's race, if I may. Um, and I want to talk about it in the context of a, uh, a piece that 538 has now published um, in which they look at the average polling uh, of the uh, polling organizations that they uh, 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 aggregate on their website. And they're pointing out an, an interesting development, which is that uh, Raphael Warnock is polling uh, much better against uh, Herschel Walker than 
Stacey Abrams is a, a, against uh, Brian Kemp. And when you go through all of their uh, polls and get to an average, they show that uh, that there is a seven-point gap between how Raphael Warnock is polling and how Stacey Abrams is polling. They now put the Senate race in their uh, uh, projections as a toss-up, but they have Kemp firmly in the camp of winning the uh, uh, governor's race. So with that in mind, w- w- this issue of whether Stacey Abrams is keeping pace with Warnock has been one on people's minds for a while now. Here's what I'm seeing in terms of when I, when I dig into those polls and look at the numbers, and actually what I'm hearing from voters, is Brian Kemp has X, whatever that number is, you know, uh, the number is 95% of Republican voters that he's getting. Then Herschel Walker, depending on the polls, he loses this handful of votes um, of, of Republicans. And then you look at the independent numbers, and he loses a, a handful of votes, Herschel Walker. Um, to me, the baseline is Governor Kemp, to me, looks like he's the one getting the highest number out there, and that Herschel Walker is the one who's losing this small chunk of Republican voters and a slightly larger chunk of independent voters. And, and when you go talk to Republican voters on the trail, you get this, this kind of mix of, I'm voting for Herschel, I'm on board, or, you know what, I'm not a big fan of Herschel, but I'm going to vote for him. And then you have that, again, a small percentage, and why the small percentage matters is because of the margin. This small percentage of Republican voters who say to me, I think I'm going to still show up and vote, you know, but I might skip the Senate race. They're not telling me that they're going to vote for Raphael Warnock. Um, and, and, and I am struggling to find independent voters, but I definitely want to talk to independent voters about where they are in their headspace as well, along with the voters who are just now starting to tune into the election because their kids are in school, because they're into their fall regime. Those are the people I also want to talk to. Jim? Yeah, I would say two things might be at work here. Uh, number one, uh, uh, Raphael Warnock is is in 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 the harshest political terms is is battling race. Uh, Stacey Abrams is battling race and gender. Uh, that, that's uh, that, that's that's one factor. The other factor here is that 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 Stacey Abrams has 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 been a target for Republicans since 2017 uh, for five years. Raphael Warnock was was new on the scene uh, just just last uh, just in 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 2020, and 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 if you remember, I mean the, the Republicans were focused on beating each other up, uh, and, and he was able to establish a very very friendly persona, and and Abrams hasn't really had that luxury. In in a, in a way, Abrams kind of reminds me of uh, of uh, of uh, the problems that Hillary Clinton had. Where where there was there was so much said about her and that she was perceived as such a, as 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 such a such a, a boogeyman uh, by Republicans that that it kind of left a permanent mark on her. Emma, there are so many interesting dynamics at play here that um, are it seems to be contributing to this split ticket uh, polling average at least emerging. Um, you know. The two incumbents, right, are pacing ahead. Incumbency advantage, we cannot um, underestimate. But also, we saw Warnock outpace Ossoff in the runoff. You know, he has, because of how his election went, as Jim just mentioned, because, you know, honestly, he's a pastor. People kind of like that. We've heard that from voters. He's he's a, a likable character and has maintained that image thus far. And that contribute, seems to contribute as well to people's support for him. And on the reverse side, Abrams has been you know, not in office for four years. And so she hasn't had the same power to, um, you know, have a, an agenda that, that Kemp has, that, that Warnock has, even legislatively. It's just harder to run against an incumbent. But I, I think also, you know, in Georgia, it seems like because we're now this battleground purple state, split ticket voting is, is surprising and new, but it does happen in states all over the country, actually. It's just maybe new here. Um, and that, to me, is, is pretty fascinating as well, if you look at the story of where Georgia is politically. Leroy? Yeah, you know, I, I wonder, too, just about this. Uh, we've, we've got Kemp, we've got Warnock. Uh, both of them have the power of incumbency. 
so that that accounts for something too because they're known. So you, you can't discount that fundamental of politics with some of the the polling. But one, there is one thing I, I find a little interesting too, and and I don't have an answer for it. But if you look at some some of the polls, including what we've got had in some of our AJC polling, is that Warnock has uh, slightly done better than than Abrams even among Democrats, which uh, I don't have an explanation for that. Uh, it's it's certainly small and not as big as the gap between what uh, Kemp and Walker are getting among Republicans. That's a bigger gap, but there is a small gap there that I don't necessarily have an explanation for. So we're going to look to see uh, where that stands. Uh, we have uh, an AJC poll that will be coming out in a couple of weeks. It is in the field now, so stay tuned. We'll try to figure out uh, kind of where the candidates stand now that uh, folks are, are paying a little bit more attention. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm glad you're telling us you've got a poll coming out, uh, Leroy, because we have intentionally, the team at Political Rewind, there have been a number of polls that have been breaking around the Georgia races, and we've sort of said we're not going to keep reporting on every poll that comes out. It's just counterproductive, but we do pay attention to the AJC poll because you're right here in our state. I also, Emma, I'll give you a chance here. I do want to point something out about the 538 report, where they say that basically on average of all their polls, uh, Warnock is running seven points better than Abrams. But that includes some polls which really are outliers, which show that Warnock is up 10 points uh, over Walker, which is certainly not uh, true. There's one poll that has him as 13 uh, points over Walker, and we really don't, we doubt those numbers. So take that seven-point gap with a little bit of grain of salt, but Emma, it does appear to be there is a gap, and I would love you to comment on what Galloway talked about, which is what is the gender bias that may be affecting how Abrams uh, runs her race? Um, well, I mean, I think it's it's gender, and it's also again, being outside of the incumbency and having, you know, being on the outside complaining uh, about what's happening on the inside. It's just you're not in a, as a position of, of power as Kemp is in the incumbency. And it's just a dynamic we see on, on every issue, except for the issues that, that Abrams and her team are really trying to highlight and saying, look, these polls, we can't trust them because of the Dobbs effect, because of the um, reversal of Roe v. Wade. And they're arguing that, you know, in other elections around the country, we have seen polls not accurately reflect in advance what the electorate is looking like in that it is motivating more women to turn out and vote on this issue. And that's something that they are banking on and have, you know, seen early signs maybe in absentee ballot applications that that might be the case. Um, but that is that is the argument that the Abrams campaign has made to me is that, you know, of course, the polls, the polling that we're seeing, they're saying it's a lot closer than than you think. Raul, as we get to a break, a one last comment. Um, we are we know that the Abrams people want to make abortion a big issue. We know that yesterday in South Carolina, the South Carolina Senate. I mean, South Carolina already has a, a, a abortion law as restrictive as Georgia's in many ways. They wanted to make it even tougher, uh, and the South Carolina Republicans rejected that. There was a split among them, and they could not pass the even tougher restrictions. And also yesterday, the Michigan State Supreme Court uh, approved putting abortion rights choice on the ballot in the fall, which is a very big deal uh, up there. So um, abortion will be an issue that Abrams and other candidates around the country, Democrats, are going to try to take uh, use to their advantage. Raul, are you muted? I apologize. I apologize. Um, I want to bring it back here to Georgia because the, people are have asked me what you think is going to happen here in Georgia. And depending on how the Georgia House turns out, I believe that there is not enough votes to go either direction, to either go towards more restrictive um, uh, abortion rules, whether it deals with exceptions or going to a complete ban. But I also think don't believe the votes are going the other direction to go back towards 20 and 22 weeks of pregnancy for abortion. And I don't definitely don't believe there are the votes to put some sort of constitutional amendment on the ballot. 
Yeah, well, and of course, we'll see who wins this governor's race, just what might happen in the next session of the General Assembly on the issue of abortion. Let's get to our final break of the show. Back with more in just a moment. I mentioned at the top of the show how you can uh, subscribe to uh, uh, Axios Atlanta. Emma Hurt writes for them, and how you can get Raul Bali's podcast, Georgia Votes 2022. The least I can do is point out you can also subscribe to the Political Rewind newsletter, which comes to you every Wednesday afternoon. Uh, just go to gpb.org slash newsletters. Uh, might get a little self-promotion, doesn't hurt. Um I want to turn to, if we can, uh, well, let me, one quick comment. Um, We talked about Nikki Haley earlier. I want to point out that uh, Shirley Franklin is doing an event with Stacey Abrams this morning in which they're going to hit hard at Brian Kemp's ongoing refusal to expand Medicaid to all Georgians who are eligible uh, to receive it. And um, we'll talk about uh, what that event on our Monday show after it unfolds, as we will about the Nikki Haley events here uh, too, but I, I, I do want to say that our GPB is going to be watching what happens with Shirley Franklin and uh, Stacey Abrams today. All right, Jim Galloway, <coughs> excuse me. Um, there's we've been following on this show this week the Coffee County. What I think it's safe to say is a breach of the voting machines down there, led by Sidney Powell, the one of those lawyers who is out there promoting false theories about the stolen election uh, in the aftermath of 2020, and uh, one of the fake electors on the Georgia uh, Trump slate. They were involved in this. So we've talked about it extensively on the show. But Tamar Hallerman, who's really been on top of all this, uh, reported overnight that now um, Fonnie Willis is taking a pretty significant interest in this, even though it's happening down there in South Georgia, uh, because among other things, um, she's looking at, at the fact that this group of Trump allies came from states around the country, and so there's an interstate commerce involvement here that could lead to a racketeering charge of some sort. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is it, it's become very. It, it becomes more interesting every day. Uh, you had a series of of visits and 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 I would assume uh, uh, openings of of uh, voting machi- voting uh, voting machines in Coffee County, and and, and yes, yes, orchestrated by Sidney Paul, but allowed by local uh, by a local election official who also turned out to be one of the one of the uh, one of the fake uh, GOP electors. Uh, uh, the t- December following the the election. And it's and, and basically what 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 uh, uh, if if I can if 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 I can uh, boil down uh, Tamar Hollerman's piece was you've got all these events happening happening in in these other geographic areas, but enough has happened in Fulton County to be able to connect the Fulton County enterprise to the Coffee County enterprise and to the other statewide, and that's that's that that is RICO territory. Uh, according to many, to many pro- prosecutors, so it could be, and 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 it should we should note that uh, that the state has its own RICO law. It's not just a federal RICO law, and and the state version is much more expansive than the federal version. Yeah, Emma, I think that Jim uh, made made a, a point that I should make more clear. The anti racketeering law uh, certainly doesn't need an interstate component. But it could become a federal issue when it becomes an interstate uh, issue as well. Emma? There's so many kind of dynamics swirling around what we're learning about this breach. I mean, what's fascinating is that we're learning the most about it from the curling lawsuit, the lawsuit against the voting machines that started in 2017. And so while, you know, lawyers are are subpoenaing, subpoenaing and taking depositions in that case, you know, they are trying to prove uh, the the they're they're targeting the machines specifically and trying to prove security vulnerabilities. But there are so much more beyond that 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 could be in play. Whether the attorney general making charges, if the secretary of state's investigation on this moves forward, and as we said, Bonnie Willis's investigation too. So many different angles on what we are what is becoming a very kind of dramatic picture of a breach of Coffee County's election software. Leroy? 
Yeah. So again, this is um, uh, this will allow a narrative to continue to evolve that uh, will serve this uh, special purpose grand jury. And I just want to remind too of what its authority is. I mean, its authority is pretty broad. So uh, this grand jury is able to uh, ask questions, and uh, what it will produce at the end of this of this term uh, will could potentially be pretty far-reaching. And I think as Jim pointed out, uh, that may go way beyond Fulton County, but it, but it may be able to to fill in some blanks and make some connective tissue between a lot of acts that that deal, that go directly to uh, President Trump's uh, inner circle. And, and, and might uh, continue to uh, provide uh, all Americans a clearer view of all the actions that took place uh, to sow doubt into uh, election results and to, to prove, and I, and I think we've seen uh, what's, what's happened uh, up, up, up on Capitol Hill and other testimony, other things we've seen, that, uh, that some of that, a lot of this was uh, let go and, and, and make a political case before there was ever any evidence. <laughs> so you, you, you get the here's the case, and then we'll try to find the evidence uh, in the aftermath. And so, so th- you know, we're, we're going to be searching for what happened uh, after the election probably for a long time, and we're seeing this happen in Fulton County just as we're seeing it happen in Washington, D.C., and some other key states across the country. Raul? I also want to remind the audience that there is also a GBI investigation uh, yes. of the situation, and that my expectation is we're we're probably not going to get results from that before the election, maybe not even before the end of the year. So there's also that going on in terms of 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 what's going on with what happened in Coffee County. Uh, just one quick note: uh, we've watched how a federal court in Florida has uh, so far been able to stop the DOJ investigation of. Uh, the documents that they've looked at uh, from our Alago, uh, and now we know that a, that a court in Texas has blocked uh, a, a, a witness who the uh, Fulton County Special Grand Jury wanted to call to testify uh, because of her involvement in uh, in in election fraud, and uh, the Texas uh, uh, court said she's not going to come. Uh, we're going to stop it from happening, and that also may prevent them from the grand jury from getting Sidney Powell here to testify. That's another story we're going to be watching because Sidney Powell, too, lives in Texas, as does the uh, witness of the special grand jury, has lost the right to call. That'll be a story we'll watch unfold in the days and weeks ahead. We're out of time for today's Political Rewind. Uh, Raul Bali, Leroy Chapman, Emma Hurt, Jim Galloway, thank you for ending the week with such a, a smart conversation. We'll be back again next week with a lot more because the news just does not stop in this political campaign year. So um, my thanks to uh, Natalie Mendenhall and Chase McGee for the work that they do uh, producing our show. Thank you so much, Victoria Evans-Cash, Jay Cook. Thank you for the technical behind-the-scenes work you do. We're out of time. We'll be back on Monday. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nigat. Take care. Stay healthy. Bye, everybody.